0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. I want you to imagine with me a drawbridge operator. And the scenario is there's a city, and going out of the city is the main way for the people to get out is the railroad, train tracks. And these train tracks run out of the city, and then over a uh, there's a river that's a pretty deep river, and barges and ships come in, they bring supplies, they um, bring all kinds of things to their their market and so over that ravine, over that river, there's a drawbridge that comes down, and for these people to leave and come in and out of the city and go to work and do business and go on vacation and go. Wherever they're going to travel, they have to go along these train tracks and they have to go over this drawbridge and there's, it's a ways outside the city. So whoever's going to operate that drawbridge has to live in a small house right there and always be ready to lower the drawbridge for the train. Well, it's not a very good job because you'd have to spend your entire life basically on call, way outside, all alone, and basically do life out there ready to lower this drawbridge at any second. But one man volunteers for the job and he, he takes with him his son. It's just him and his son, his beloved son. He, he loves this uh, this boy and they move out and they move into this very small little house. I mean, maybe kind of like a shack. And... At predictable times throughout the day, they'll hear the the blast from the train, the whistle from the train conductor way far in the distance, and it gives the man time to stop and go out and he works the levers on this massively heavy drawbridge and slowly lowers it down over the ravine for the train to go speeding by. But there are times that the train comes through at unpredictable times when they're not really on... The regular schedule, but he has to be ready. And so he, sometimes he'll, uh, he'll have to go out in the middle of the night and he will hear the blast from the train waking him up in the middle of the night. So he'll have to go out to that, to the, the, where he operates it and move the levers and lower this drawbridge and the train goes speeding by. And sometimes his son goes out there. Usually his son goes out there with him, except when it's in the middle of the night, he'll say, dad, do you want me to go with you? No, son, you, you can stay here. It's not a very good life. It's not a hard life, but he, he does it because someone has to do it to someone has to let this train go by. And the one thing that he does virtually every time the train goes by, the one thing he does, and it's just kind of the, what he does, the, the consolation for the life that he's chosen to go out there and live there for the people of the city. The one thing he does is he'll stand there outside this little hut, this little shack, and he'll wave at the train as it goes whizzing by, full of passengers. And the vast majority of people, they don't even, they don't even think about the man. They don't even recognize the man. He just, you know, they're, not, they're reading their paper or they're talking with their friends or they're talking with their family. A few people will occasionally just kind of acknowledge him and wave back kind of half-heartedly because they just can't appreciate the sacrifice it is for this man to live out there to lower this drawbridge every single day, constantly on call. They can't possibly appreciate what that's like. I mean, especially at night, he'll wake up and, and maybe it's a couple nights in a row and he's, he's up and he, he hears the blast and he scurries over there and he lowers the lever and he watches as the train goes by and he stands there and he waves at just this cr- the crowd of people inside this train, mo- most of them asleep but the small consolation for him is they get to sleep because he woke himself up to lower the drawbridge for him. And years and years this happens, and, and this son he lives, the son grows up, and the son walks through the, walks out with him and, and joins him and waves, and years go by, people go by, most don't recognize, some wave. But all the time they're never fully noticing, recognizing, appreciating the sacrifice of his life so that they can make it to the other other side of that river. You know, we're, we're coming together to celebrate Good Friday and the point of Good Friday is to stop and remember the sacrifice of a life given so that we could make it to the other side. You know, a lot of people, if you ask, hey, what happens when you die? They'll say, oh, I'll go on to a better place. It's a common belief. The majority of our city would say that. And the Bible does say there is a better place. There's a place called heaven. But it's very clear about heaven. Heaven is not automatic that every person just goes. It's not automatic for every person, but it is offered to every person. And there's a gift that has to be received. Someone has to actually receive that gift, and the gift is a sacrifice. It is a very costly sacrifice. It's a life given so that we can go to the other side. I want to show you a passage that meditates on this idea of the cost of us having eternal life. If you have a Bible or Bible app, you can open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to read this to you. We're going to take a look at um, starting in verse 42, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 42, written by Paul to a church in the city of Corinth. Here's what he says. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Now, let me just get our bearings here on this text. He says, um, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What does he mean by the resurrection of the dead? He's talking about, the afterlife. He's talking about we die and then we're raised back to life. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about life after death, the resurrection of the dead. And he says, so it is with the afterlife. So it is for living eternally. So it is for everlasting life. So it is with going to heaven. Well, what is, what is like the afterlife? What is like going to heaven? And he's just given a series of metaphors. Now, here's what his, his metaphor is. He talks about, in the preceding verses, he talks about a seed, a kernel, like this. Like what I have here is, uh, these are barley, barley seeds. He says, I want you to think about planting a, a seed. He says, the afterlife is like, a, is like a seed. I mean, think about what happens is you take this tiny little seed and you sow it into the ground And what happens is the body of this seed, the husk, the kernel, around the life packed inside this seed, the body of this seed will go down into the ground and it will basically die. Like the kernel will break apart and make way for new life. And he says that's a lot like how it is with life after death. He, he goes on and he says, there's all different types of bodies. And he says, it's like uh, all different types of things. So it's like, imagine like a grape, like a, a, a fruit, like in this, in this fruit, you've got like the, the grape, the meat of the fruit all around the seed. And if you put this in the ground, the body of this grape, the flesh around this seed will die. It'll rot, it'll corrupt, but the seed itself will give life that's coming out of that. And he says, it's just like the resurrection of the dead he says it's like our bodies he says our our bodies give way our bodies have to die but it gives way the what's perishable our bodies has to die to give way to the imperishable but he takes it a step further look what he says in in verse 43 he says it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. He's saying, he takes it a step further. He's talking about this illustration of, like, say, a seed. And he's saying it's the same with our, with our bodies. I mean, think of what has to happen to this tiny little seed. When it's sown into the ground, it's sown in dishonor. It's sown in weakness. I mean, think about you. You take a seed and you press it down into the dirt, into the mud. I mean, if you press someone's face into the mud, that's pretty dishonoring. You're pressing a seed down into the dirt, down into the mud. In fact, if you really want it to grow well, you mix in fertilizer, manure. I mean, think of how dishonoring it is to the seed to get pressed down into the dirt so that new life can rise. It's pressed down in in weakness, You take this tiny little seed. I mean, what good really is the seed? It's not even like this. It's not even really even good for for food. There's really nothing that this seed adds to our life until we press it down all completely in its weakness, completely there, immovable. It gets pressed down into the dirt. But here's what he says. Just like the seed that gets pressed down or the fruit that gets pressed down in dishonor, he says it raises in glory. It gets pressed down in the mud. It gets mixed in with manure, but what comes out is glorious. I mean, imagine a a seed. I mean, if you think of a field just filled with golden stalks of wheat or barley or corn, I mean, just think it's glorious. It's gorgeous. You think of a, a grape or the seed from a fruit, it gets pressed down in dishonor, but when it raises out, there's these glorious clusters of fruit. See, it's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. He says it's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. I mean, imagine that seed, all helpless, immovable, gets planted down, all surrounded in darkness, completely helpless, down in the dirt. But think of what happens it's like a miracle. It's like all of a sudden, something seemingly all on its own cracks through that shell and starts pushing up through the dirt pushing soil out of the way, pushing itself. The farmer's not pulling it out. Nothing's pulling it out. It's not, there's no electricity powering it. There's no engine powering it. It's got its own power pushing itself up out of the soil, pushing and growing into a stalk of, of some kind of grain or into a vine or to a tree, a power all of its own. See, it's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. And he says, that's the way it is with our bodies. Man, at the end of our lives, our natural bodies, they get weaker and it's uh, not honorable what happens to our bodies. He says, but that's our natural bodies. And the same one who shows us a million times every day, how he wired. Seeds growing from dishonor and weakness into glory and power. He says he's the same one has shown you what will happen with your own body. Sown in dishonor and weakness, but raised into something more glorious and powerful, some spiritual immortality, a body of power that we can't even imagine. But that immortality is not automatic, it's offered and it came at great cost. Look what he says next, let's finish out this section, verse 45, thus it is written, The first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, but it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. He says, look, here's how this plays out, and it's, it's significant. We need to understand the cost. We need to understand how it works. How does that immortality, how's life after death, how does heaven work? It's not automatic, but it is offered, and it came at great cost. How did it work? He says, look, there's there's two men, there's a first Adam and then one he calls a second Adam. There's a man who came out of the dust and there's a man who came down from heaven. There's a man that's of the natural world, and there's a man that's of the spiritual world, the supernatural. Now who are these two men? The first one is literally Adam. Remember the story, the very first human being ever to be on this earth is Adam and the Bible says that every single one of us are descended from Adam. He is our ultimate uh, human ancestor. And how it came about is that God made everything, but when he decided to make man, he wanted to do it very special. He could have spoke humans into the world just like he did everything else. But what he did is he got his hands dirty and he scooped up the dust and he formed a human out of the dust. He formed the shell, the kernel, the husk out of dust. And then he breathed into that dust kernel and breathed life, breathed the spirit, breathed the soul, and the man was alive. Then he takes Adam, and he did this because he's showing us something. Then he takes Adam, and he puts him in the garden, and he says, in this garden, this is where you're going to work. This is where you're going to enjoy cultivating this garden, and planting things, and growing fruit. And he puts him in this garden, but he says, but it's not good that you're alone. So he puts him in a deep sleep. And he cuts open his side and he reaches in and he pulls something out of his side, a rib, and he closes up his side. And he takes that substance from he, that he pulls from the side and he takes that rib and he makes a wife, a bride for Adam. He makes Eve. And Adam wakes up and Adam and Eve are there in the garden and they're to enjoy life in the presence of God, working and enjoying the work of the garden. But if you know how the story goes, they disobey God. They take the forbidden fruit. Eve gets tempted, she comes, uh, Adam uh, is with her, and she takes the fruit. She says to Adam, she hands it to Adam, she took the fruit, she ate it, she gave it to him, he took the fruit, and he ate it, and sin and death entered into the world. And God tells him the consequence, tells Adam in particular, part of the consequences. He says, now your work in the garden will become a labor. By the sweat of your brow, you will be working the ground in that labor. You'll be fighting these thorns by the sweat of your brow. And now you'll face death. And now Adam's body, originally made of dust, returns into the ground as dust. And every single one of us descended from Adam have the same story repeating over and over and over. We sin like Adam did. We disobey God. We do things out of selfishness and pride and idolatry and self-centered worship. And just like Adam, our end is our body's return to the ground as dust. And it would have been just for God to leave it just like that. But he looks down on his creation and these humans he made in his image, and he says, I love you so much that I'm going to send another one, another man. This will be like a second Adam, but it will not be someone that's up from the dust. It won't be a man from the dust. It'll be a man from heaven. And so God himself takes the eternal preexistent son of God and he places that life in a womb so that this one's not fathered by Adam. He's fathered by almighty God. And Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, lives the life of that we couldn't live. And here's what Jesus did. Jesus had to come and he had to come in the flesh like us so he could save us and start a new lineage that's not from dust to dust, but that's from heaven to heaven. And so what he had to do is he had to take on a body just like us like the seed, like this grape, he had to take a body and that body would have to be a natural body, a physical body that would have to be sown in dishonor and weakness and die. And what dishonor he suffered. He was arrested on a Thursday night Dishonored by all of his companions. One of them betrayed him. One of them denied him over and over. The rest abandoned him, leaving him alone in dishonor. They dishonored a man who did nothing wrong with false accusations. They tied a blindfold around his his eyes so he was blinded. And they'd come up on him and they'd punch him in the face. And they would mock him saying, hey, tell us, you're a prophet, prophesy, who just punched you? And then they treated him like a condemned criminal, mocking him and he gets turned over to the Romans. And after he's, he's whipped viciously, they, they dress him up as if he's a king and they mock him bowing down with mock adoration for this king. And they spit on him. And then they, they, they fashion a sign that mocks him as if he's a king. And they bring him up the Mount of Calvary. And then they strip him of his clothes to humiliate him and raise him up on a cross. And they stand at the foot of the cross and mock him in dishonor. And people passing by at an innocent man dying torturously continue to mock him. Even one of the thieves next to him mocks him. He died in such dishonor. And who was he? The one that the morning stars rise to sing about. All the universe orbits around his glory. It was all made for him. And we dishonored him. died in weakness. They accused him and he he said nothing as if he had no defense. The very brilliant word of God, the mind of God in the flesh stayed quiet as if he had nothing to say. He allowed them to beat him within an inch of his life so as he's carrying a cross, up the mountain, he's stumbling, exhausted, in shock from loss of blood, falls multiple times until the point where someone else has to finish carrying the cross up Mount Calvary as if he does not have the power to carry it up. He's actively holding the universe together. They pin his arms down with nails and spikes driven into his arms and to his feet. And he hangs there on the cross as if he can't move, drawing himself up, gasping for breath in weakness. And then his body fails. And who is this? This is the one through whom everything was made, who's holding it all together in power. The one who will return in power, bringing the end of time with it and bring every kingdom to its knees but he sowed his body in weakness. He came in, the, in a body, a kernel, that would be sowed in weakness and dishonor, but he came to undo what the first Adam did. And the night when he was going to be betrayed, he's in the garden, and he's in agony over the labor that he's about to do, and on his forehead, There's the sweat of his brow pouring down for the labor he was about to do, like great drops of blood. And in all ironies, they couldn't imagine. They put on the second greater Adam. They take thorns and they place it down on that brow, not realizing that the labor he's doing is to remove the ultimate, it's the ultimate labor to remove the ultimate thorns of sin and death itself. He came to undo what the first Adam did. But he he went further than what Adam did. He did more than what Adam did. You see, the first Adam, he brought our failure with a meal. He took fruit. Took the fruit, ate it, and gave. But Jesus had a meal of our redemption. He sat with the twelve the night he was betrayed, and he lifted up that meal that would be the declaration of the work he would do to save, and he, and he took it, took the cup, and he said, take, eat, and he gave it to them. But I want you to notice there's something different. The first Adam took the raw fruit and brought our failure from the raw fruit. But the second Adam, Jesus, didn't take the raw fruit. The emblems from Jesus of our salvation, it's not not grapes and, and grain. The emblems of our salvation is wine and bread. Something different than what Adam did. He, he took bread, not, not grain. He took the bread and he broke it. He took wine, which came from the fruit of the vine. He took that wine and he poured it out and he passed it around. Now, what's different? See, there's a, a lot that the grape has to undergo to become wine. There's a lot that the, the grain has to undergo to become bread. I mean, think of what, what it has to, has to do. I mean, the grain, it has to be cut down with a sickle. It's then put in a pile and it's what's called winnowed, threshed. It's tossed into the air, crushed and tossed and all the wind blows all of the chaff away, all the filaments that you don't want in the bread. And then it's, when it's put into a dough, then it's placed in the oven and the heat and the fire of the oven until it becomes bread. I mean, think of, all the process to go from grain to bread. And this similar, there's a long process to go from being a fruit, the grapes, to being the wine. It's plucked up. It's tread underfoot until the, it's bled, the grapes are bled out and poured out. And I want you to think of those verbs that, go, that take grape and grain to make wine and bread it's cut down with a sickle, it's winnowed, and it's placed in the oven, it's fired in the oven, and then you've, it's plucked, the grape is plucked and tread underfoot and crushed, and it's poured out and bled. And each one of those verbs are used in the Old Testament for God describing his wrath that he will bring on someone that's deserving. He says, I, I will cut you down with the sickle, he says, He says, I will winnow you. I will thresh you on the threshing floor because of your sin. That's what you deserve. He says, I'll I'll put you in the fire of an oven. He says, I'll I'll pluck you like the grape ready for harvest. He says, I'll crush you and tread you underfoot. I will pour you out and bleed you. See what the, the second Adam did, the first Adam brought our failure from the raw fruit. But the second Adam's meal, Jesus' meal of our redemption, it had undergone a process. It had taken the judgment and wrath of God on itself. To pay for our sin and to save us from death, Jesus was cut down and winnowed and fired and plucked and crushed and poured out. Those are the emblems of our salvation. And we take that meal to remember and celebrate the cost of the life that he won for us, eternal life. It's not automatic, but it is offered. Good Friday is a time where we pause and we reflect on the cost of the immortality of heaven, of eternal life that we've been given. We pause and we reflect on that, what Jesus underwent to become our champion, our savior, our redeemer. And while we know that he rose in in glory and power, and we'll celebrate that on Easter Sunday, Tonight is where we remember the cost. You remember that drawbridge operator with his son and so many people whizzing by, not realizing the sacrifice of his life to make a way for them to get to the other side. But if we were to rework that story to be a little bit more similar to the work that Jesus did, the story would continue like this. After many years, the drawbridge operator and his son, son grew up through his childhood into young adulthood, staying loyally by his father's side, always ready day after day. They hear the blast from the train conductor, knowing that there's a train that's just barreling down on them and they would go and work the levers and lower this this impossibly heavy drawbridge so that they could pass by. And every time as they give their lives to this, posted there, they gave their lives as the people go by day after day after day. Most people not even really paying much attention to them, but an occasional tip of the hat, but still not appreciating the cost. But one day they hear the train blast. And the man goes out like every other day and he goes to work the levers. But this time when he pulls the lever for the first time ever, it's never happened before the drawbridge doesn't move. And here's the the train, you can see it, it's getting closer, it's not stopping. He says, son, son, come quick. Here's a second blast from the train. The train conductor's never seen this. Usually the, like every time the drawbridge goes down, he says, son, you have to look at the gear, see what's going on. Why is the drawbridge not going down? And the sun scurries down underneath. He Here's a third blast from the train conductor. It's barreling down closer and closer. I mean, if he can't get this drawbridge down, there's gonna be a terrible catastrophe. All, the, all of the crowds of people on that passenger chain, they're gonna crash into that bridge, plunge into the ravine They will all die. He says, son, what's going on down there? And he calls up. He says, dad, the gears are stuck. There's something obscuring it. It's way back in those gears. And the, and the father looks out and he sees the train barreling down and he hears what his son is saying. And he, and he knows that the train is getting closer and closer. It would be impossible for it to stop. But he knows if his son goes and gets the obstruction out of the way, his son won't have time to get out before he'll have to lower the bridge. And he's caught in this moment. What does he do? Does he does he spare his beloved son or does he, does he watch as these crowds of people careen to their death? He says, Son, I, I need you to go back in there and I need you to take the, obst- the obstacle out. And his son looks at him, knowing fully well what this means. And he says, I will do it. And he crawls into the gears. And he hears a small voice as the train is barreling down. He hears a small voice saying, it's done. Immediately he pushes the lever and the train, the drawbridge comes down. And as he watches the drawbridge going, knowing that it means his son is perishing, he stands outside, tears streaming down his face and watches the train go whizzing by. And many on the train, like every other day, don't even notice. Some give a tip of the hat to them, but they can't comprehend the sacrifice he gave so they could get to the other side. That's closer to our story, except it's not a man and his son. It's almighty God and the Son of God, eternally existent for all time. And He sacrificed His Son, so that we could live for eternity. That's offered to you. If today you don't know for sure, if you're gonna spend eternity, if you don't know for sure that you're raising to life, that last moment when you close your eyes for the last time that you'll be awakening in the bursting of glorious light of heaven more alive than you've ever been on this earth. If you don't know for sure that you've received that gift, it's offered to you today at great cost to the Son of God. It's offered to you today. He paid for your sin so you could spend eternity in heaven. But Christian, those of us who've put our faith in Jesus. Do we live our life just tipping our hat to the Almighty One who saved us? Or do we live lives with conscious realization of the cost of what it required of the Father the sacrifice of the son for us to have eternal life. Could there be anything that we would hold back from him? Tonight in remembrance of what he sacrificed for us, if there's anything you're holding back from him, if there's anything you're saying, you know what, God, I know that you've asked me to do this, but I'm not going to do that. I know you've asked me to obey in this part of my life, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go on living my life. If there's anything you are holding back from God, Can you turn your life over to him as a small offering of the unimaginable sacrifice on your behalf? Can we take a moment of quiet reflection? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Believer, is there something in your life that the Holy Spirit is stirring you to address today? Is there something he's calling you back to? How could you hold it back from your Jesus, who loves you so much that he suffered and died for you? Surrender to him. Are you running from him? Maybe you've been running for many years. Maybe you've, you've been running most of your adulthood. Maybe you've never turned your life back over to Jesus. Would you turn back to Jesus today? But maybe you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus. And you've thought it's your own labor That's going to save you. It's by laboring to be a good person, laboring to be a religious person, laboring to be a Christian person. Maybe it's the the labor, uh, you think it's the labor of your parents to raise you as a Christian or raise you as a Catholic or walk you through some kind of religious uh, education or walk you through some kind of religious milestone. As long as someone has labor, you've labored religiously that maybe you'll be saved. But it's not your labor that will save you. It can't save you. It can't undo what the first Adam did and what every one of us carry out. It it requires the work of the second Adam. It requires the work of Jesus Christ. It's his labor uprooting the thorns of sin and death, his work on the cross. It requires his body dying and going down into the grave, sown in dishonor and weakness and raised and in power and glory. It takes the labor of Jesus for you to be saved. Please don't put your faith in your religion. Don't put your faith in your work. Don't put your faith in a wish. I just hope that I go to a better place. Put your faith in a person. Put your faith in a champion. Put your faith in a savior. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, the son of God to be saved. That is not automatically given but it is offered and you can receive that today. Today could be the day of your salvation because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you wanna take that step of faith and I want you to draw a line in the sand and say today is the day. And so no one's looking around, everyone's heads are bowed in a quiet moment before the Lord. But if today, you want to say, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to know for sure that I'm going to spend forever in heaven. My faith's not in my religion. My faith is not in my heritage. My faith is in the person of Jesus. If you, that's you, then right now as I'm talking, just quietly slip your hand in the air. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you want to put your faith in Jesus, praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Anybody else you say, today is the day, praise God. Anyone else you say, today is the day, I wanna put my faith in Jesus, amen. Amen. For those of you who are ready to take that step, let me lead you in a prayer. Just silently say to Jesus, Jesus, thank you for your labor to save me. You suffered and died. You rose again so that I too can live forever. You are my savior and my king, in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who put your faith in Jesus today, I'd love to get a Bible to you. You can go to cityrev.org faith. Love to put a Bible in your hands. Just go there right now on your phone or you can get a Bible in the front lobby. But we're gonna end our time together with communion and with singing. And here's what you'll find. These are the, the, the meal representing our salvation. Here at these stations in the front and these there's stations in the back, you'll find communion elements. You'll find bread and juice. There's a couple different options for you. You can take a bread and juice from the cup or there's some prepackaged ones if you'd prefer. And for those of you who put your faith in Jesus for the first time, there's also some wooden cups. They're olive wood cups you can take one of those. If you're already a believer, and tonight was not the night you put your faith in Jesus for the first time, there's some plastic cups for you. But for those who put their faith in Jesus for the first time, there's an olive wood cup for you to commemorate that day. But if you're not ready to take that step of faith, you're not ready to proclaim that Jesus is your savior and you still have questions, I'm just glad that you're here and would love to invite you back on Sunday as we celebrate Easter. But if you're not ready to say that Jesus is your savior, I wanna encourage you to hold back from taking communion because that's what this is. It's a proclamation that Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was poured out for us to take the wrath and judgment of God, to pay for our sins so that we could be saved forever. What we'll do in just a moment, you can either go to the tables in the back or the tables in the front and you can come forward, take the elements and then when you get back to your seat, you can take those together as families or as an individual, just um, in a moment of reflection with the Lord. You can begin coming forward or going to the back. Thanks path. for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.